Should scientists create human-animal hybrids? The British government will decide next week. We'll ask Oxford professor Dr. David Cook about the ethics. Is the Kremlin orchestrating the murder of Russian journalists, and does Putin want another Cold War? Plus, we'll have the latest on the charges against Idaho Senator Larry Craig. This is Jerry Johnson, live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. The Iranian regime must halt these actions. And until it does, I will take actions necessary to protect our troops. I have authorized our military commanders in Iraq to confront Tehran's murderous activities. Of course, that's President Bush. And what activities is he referring to are these activities, supplying nuclear technology, uh, building up nuclear weaponry, uh, arms deals, sending soldiers into Iraq. Iran has said, uh, essentially, they're going to move in to Iraq. They're going to fill up the power vacuum. But what's back of Iran, though? Well, Russia is back of Iran. They're providing the nuclear technologies. They're providing the arms that Iran is sending into Iraq. And uh, we're going to be talking later today about Russia and all kinds of mischief. Ten suspects have been arrested now in the murder of a Russian journalist. People are wondering, why is the Kremlin killing its critics? Why is Vladimir Putin uh, restarting bomber runs over Europe and and? And is he returning to the Cold War posture? And why is he supporting Iran as they agitate for violence in Iraq? We're going to talk about that with an expert who's written a book about Russia and um, all of this mischief. They're up to. Well, President Bush says we are winning in Iraq. The momentum is now on our side. The surge is seizing the initiative from the enemy. And handing it to the Iraqi people. And, of course, this story, this revelation about Idaho Senator Larry Craig, pretty sad. He's uh, serving his third Senate term. He was first elected to the House in 1980. That's 27 years in Congress. But now he's facing charges of soliciting sex in an airport men's room. Has he managed to cover his homosexuality all these years? 
or is this a setup? Uh, we're going to discuss it later in the program, talk about how we should react to this. But also, uh, here's Barack Obama in New Orleans. What we need now is an extreme makeover in Washington. We're going to have a Okay, that TV show, Extreme Makeover, was down there in New Orleans. We're coming up on the anniversary, the second anniversary of Katrina, and uh, Barack Obama's preaching it uh, in uh, New Orleans. He's invoking the Sermon on the Mount again. We're going to talk about it later. All right, here's the headline today. Britain's leading scientists have made a final plea for the right to create the first animal-human embryos for medical research using eggs taken from dead cows. What do you think about this? Is this island of Dr. Moreau? Uh, What are the ethical questions, and what is really going on? With us to talk about it, Dr. David Cook. He's a medical ethicist teaching out of Green College, Oxford University. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Cook. Delight to be with you. Dr. Cook, what is going on in the U.K.? What should we think about it? What is the Christian view here? First of all, money is going on in the UK. Uh, scientists are very, very keen to be the leaders and to make a great deal of money. In order to attract money to do research, they have to give uh, exaggeration and hype. And so what's happening in the scientific community, there's a great deal of hype saying, if you're suffering from Alzheimer's, if you've got diabetes, we will find a cure. And that's what this kind of producing hybrids is geared to do. But it's all hope, it's smoke and mirrors, it's a promise. It's not going to be delivered. And uh, let's just talk about Alzheimer's for a moment. Uh, don't most scientists believe that there's, there's really no hope in uh, embryonic stem cell research for Alzheimer's? Well, they do in the short term. The, the question is whether or not in the long term uh, we will be able to use stem cells, particularly adult stem cells, to replace damage which is done to people who do suffer from Alzheimer's. And we have to remember, it is a horrific disease, not only for the individuals suffering, but for the families and the carers who are caring for them. Long term, we're looking for uh, hope. But in the short term, embryonic stem cells are not going to produce anything. What are the ethical concerns that you would have with just the notion of human-animal hybrids? I think, first of all, we have to say, what does it mean to be human? Is there something unique and uh, upholding dignity about humanity? Should we cross the line between animals and human beings? What they're talking about doing is going to slaughterhouses, taking cow's eggs, and removing the nucleus, the inner part of that, and putting 99.9% of human being into that cow. And then they're going to call that an animal-human hybrid. Actually, it's really a human being. Now, you need hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these in order to produce any kind of possibility of a stem cell. And, and that's really, it's poor science. It's poor science, and it's crossing a line about human individuality and human dignity. Dr. Cook is with us. Uh, he is from Oxford University. And, Dr. Cook, it's so great to talk to you. you. You know, this is really creepy uh, when you think about this. And, of course, they're saying and making the rationalization that it's better to use these cows' eggs than it would be to use human eggs, which that's not legal either. But do you think your government is actually going to approve this? Uh, I fear that they are. I fear that they are because the scientific community is winning the battle for uh, minds and hearts with lots of really telling publicity. I go back to when in the United States, Christopher Reeve and Michael Fox were talking about the possibilities of embryonic stem cells uh, and the fruits of research there. And people vote emotionally, they react. 
But what's also happening in the UK is people are, are recognizing, not just Christian people, not just religious people, but secular people are saying, yuck, this crossing the line between animals and human beings is a really dangerous thing. It's a slippery slope, and once we begin down there, where will we end up? It's Frankenstein all over again. Dr. Cook, I'm hearing uh, all of the hype in the United States about embryonic stem cell research, but back of this story, there is a real problem, even if all of this was legalized um, in the U.S., that is, it's not so easy to get eggs. Where are they going to get the human eggs for this they, kind of... They get the human eggs from fertility clinics. You know, in the land of the free and the home of the brave, you can buy anything. And there are clinics which are selling eggs. Part of the difficulty is that these eggs are frozen eggs, and frozen eggs are not always very successful. So there is a shortage. Otherwise, what you do is what happened in Korea, where there were scientists, lady scientists, who were being encouraged, shall we say, that's in, quoted, in, in quotation marks, to donate their eggs in order to help experiments. Now, if you're taking eggs from women live, that's extremely painful, it's extremely invasive, it's extremely dangerous. Well, let's go back to these frozen embryos because these are treated in different ways. And I think, and maybe uh, you could weigh in on this too, that because these embryos are frozen and some women actually see the possibility of their extra embryos being used for scientific research, they're encouraged to have more of those, uh, and which ends up in many of them just being basically killed, doesn't it? It does indeed. It, it's a form of murder. It's the murder of the innocent. What science, and particularly fertility science, is showing is that the more eggs that we have, the more embryos we produce, the, more, the less well they're going to do. So now the UK government is actually saying we shall only put in two fertilized eggs. So all this hype about creating lots and lots of embryos and selecting the embryos is really not good science. And we're having to cut back in that area. Here are other scientists saying, let's produce more eggs so we can use science to do stem cell research. So the, in the UK, this is limited to two. It's not limited in the U.S. And That's I noticed, correct. I noticed there's a story out of New Zealand uh, where they're talking about the adoption of these embryos and basically a really pro-life policy of allowing these families to know each other uh, with regard to choosing the recipients. And so, you know, all countries are seeming to have to deal with these bioethical issues, and they're finding different ways of doing it. But it's really a new world, isn't it? It is, and it's closing the stable door after the horse is bolted, because we create a model problem, and then we say, how can we limit the damage here? What we ought to be doing is to be proactive, to say, all right, then, are there some limits that we ought to set for science? And everybody thinks that science has to have limits. We saw that what happened in Nazi Germany has made the German government and the European governments very, very sensitive about going down this kind of line. The Brits are liberal in this. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. This is Dr. David Cook. He teaches medical ethics at Oxford University, also an adjunct professor for Criswell College. The last three years, our distinguished scholars term in Oxford University, we've been taking students over, working with Dr. Cook on all kinds of subjects in philosophy, theology, and ethics. Dr. Cook, uh, let me ask you this question. <laughs> this whole idea of um, human-animal hybrids um, brings up sort of the animal rights um, it does indeed. Theme. It's not just about, <laughs> we've been talking about the uh, Michael Vick story here in the United States. 
What do you? Um, what is the Christian worldview when it comes to treatment of animals? I mean, Christians are very critical many times of PETA and and other groups, but there is a a a Christian view on animals and animal life. Absolutely, God created humanity. Humanity has a very special role. We are meant to care for the world and to care for the creatures that God made. So we have a responsibility. We are stewards. The world and animals do not belong to us. They belong to God. That's why it matters the way in which we treat them. But God has given us a freedom in order to use animals for food and for clothing and for our well-being. But that's not for our entertainment. And that's where Michael Vick got into terrible trouble. And, and not just with religious people. It's across the board. People are saying there's something fundamentally wrong. That's why we have organizations to protect the interests of animals. But there's a world of difference between saying we want to care for animals properly and appropriately and worshipping animals. And sadly, that line is sometimes being crossed. And what about research, using animals for research? Well, I think that that is proper and appropriate, but we have to do it in a humane kind of way. I think that the conditions, I mean, I've been in the animal house in Oxford in the university, and there they are at Great Pains. Do you know that there are more inspectors looking after the well-being of animals in Oxford than there are looking after the well-being of embryos? Now, it seems to me that Mm. we've got things wrong when animals are more important than human beings. But that doesn't mean that we have no responsibility for animals, and it doesn't mean that we should not be careful in the way in which we conduct experiments. But now with many of the computerized programs, there are many things that we can do before we get to animal experiments. But if it's a choice between experimenting on human beings and experimenting on animals, I would experiment. But you have to make sure it's a good science and good ethical standards. I'm asking for a prediction now. With these embryonic stem cell research regimes, they're going to be legalized. Of course, they're promising that uh, they will kill these human beings before they'll develop. Uh, do you believe we're going to see uh, developing adult clones? Uh, I think in the long term, yes. But the tech science and technology is 25, 30 years away from actually being able to produce that. But I can assure you, and I'm happy to be a prophet and the son of a prophet in relation to this, that in 20 or 30 years there will be such adult clones in our world. Dr. David Cook of Oxford University also teaches at Criswell College every summer. Thank you so much, Dr. Cook, for being with us. Pleasure to talk with you all. All right, coming up, church and state. What do you think of politicians in the pulpit? We hear often about preachers into politics and uh, that wall of separation, uh, high, thick. And uh, when we see a a politician in a right-wing pulpit, everyone cries foul as well. But what about a politician in a left-of-center pulpit? Well, let's talk about Barack Obama down in New Orleans, quoting the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the house on sand. The number is 800-881-9270. If you want to call in on this one, next segment, we'll ask for your view. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. 
Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. What we need now is an extreme makeover in Washington. We're going to have a extreme makeover in our politics, an extreme makeover in attitudes, an extreme makeover in terms of how we care for one another, an extreme makeover in terms of how we think about each other, and how we think about our children, and how we think about our own people, how we think about those who need help. Preaching. That's what this campaign's about. Barack Obama preaching. Preaching in a church in New Orleans on Sunday, invoking the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what he said. He said, I recall what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I'll liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it's founded on the rock. Obama preached, and then he said, that rock was a principle of brotherhood exemplified by the church during Hurricane Katrina, and then went on to criticize the federal government. Now, we have some questions today about this. Number one, is the rock brotherhood in the Sermon on the Mount? Did he get his interpretation right? What are his hermeneutics here on this one? And then aside from that, Another question, what do you think, again, about this politician in preachy tones, not just preachy tones, but with the organ music in the background and the choir and the amening? Uh, What would the reaction be if uh, some conservative candidate, some Republican candidate, was in a conservative church preaching against abortion, let's say, or preaching against homosexual marriage. The organ was playing. The people were shouting amen. How would that play on the evening news? Is there a double standard? That's what I'm asking. Here's the number, 800-881-9270. Is that rock brotherhood in the parable of the house built on the sand? Is that the meaning of the parable? Is there actually another lesson for New Orleans in that parable? Think about that parable. What is the real lesson uh, for New Orleans in that parable? 800-881-9270. Do you think there's a double standard? What do you think of Obama preaching like this in this church? 800-881-9270. Penna, CNN featured this story, and it was amazing. Some of the responses, over 100 email responses to Mm -hmm. this sermonette in New Orleans. Well, first, I've got to say that if a Republican, in answer to your question, were speaking about the life issue with that music in a church, you'd have Barry Lynn and Americans United for Separation of Church and State and the ACLU after them threatening their tax-exempt status. That is what would happen. It happens all the time. But uh, here's one of the comments uh, from one of the uh, listeners, viewers to CNN. Government is not the rock, because he's saying that 
the government should be like the church, like this brotherhood. And he's also saying the government didn't do what they should in uh, New Orleans. Government is not the rock. Jesus is the rock. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. That's the scripture. Government is not and ever will be the solution to man's problems. Well, and here's another one of those emails right here. It says this, the wise man may build his house on a rock. But the foolish man builds his house 16 feet below sea level in an area surrounded by lakes and rivers and then is greatly astonished when a hurricane floods the city. So perhaps another lesson for the city of New Orleans from that story. But we've got callers on the line here. Mike from Dallas. Mike, thank you for calling. What do you make of Obama preaching in this church? First of all, I'm an accountant of 33 years. What Obama did is illegal. Any church that would allow what Obama said and did in the pulpit has violated the Internal Revenue Code and would have their tax-exempt status pulled. There's a double standard here because if that was Prestonwood or if that was First Baptist Downtown or any other church, they, the IRS would be all over this pulling tax-exempt status, their tax-exempt status. Well, my... This is a double standard that the Democratic Party has always played. It always happens in a lot of the smaller churches, etc. <laughs> right. If a large church were to do this, they would lose their tax-exempt status. Thanks, Mike. You know, we have seen Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, and then Bill Clinton, Al Gore, going into these churches in the South, the black churches, and uh, the folks really whipping it up. And uh, here's another email from CNN that says this. If this was a Republican candidate... CNN and the other mainstream media outlets would be ridiculing this as pandering to the religious right. And so, but we didn't see any of that coverage over the weekend. It's very amazing. We've got Scott on the line from Dublin. Scott, thank you for calling. What do you make of Obama in the pulpit? Well, he got tired of holding, I guess. Larry, let's go back and listen to a, another segment of Obama in New Orleans. I'm here to remember and to look ahead. When the people of New Orleans and the Gulf Coast extended their hand for help, that help wasn't there. When people looked up from the rooftops for too long, they saw an empty sky. When the winds blew and the floods came, we learned that for all our wealth and power, something wasn't right in America. You don't need to ship folks in to rebuild here in New Orleans. A lot of folks need work right here. We can train them. All right, that's Obama. And he was preaching at a church in New Orleans on Sunday, mixing a little church and state, a little politics and religion. We've got Henry on the line from Fort Worth. Henry, thank you for calling. Henry, how do you feel about this? Well, let me start off as a black Democrat. I've listened to this show every day. I love your message. And it just needs to be said. The reason Obama's getting away with this is because he is a black man. <laughs> if I guarantee you, if this was happening at Lynchburg and this was uh, a white politician doing it, we would scream bloody murder. <laughs> now, I mean, that being said... Especially a white like Republican. Obama, but it's very easy to criticize the government. Mm, it is. Well, thank you so much, uh, Henry, for that call and for that perspective. Um, you know, there's another issue here, Penna. Here's one of these CNN emails. I think you might have some similar. Obama, what a hypocrite. I'm just reading from the email, folks. Does he invoke the Bible when he signs legislation allowing for late-term abortions? 
Does he invoke it when the helpless babies are lying half dead on a table and as the legislation in Illinois prevented the doctor from putting the helpless infant out of its misery or giving it a chance to live by providing state-of-the-art medical care? If Obama really respected the Bible, says another uh, viewer, he'd stop supporting the murder of innocent babies. All right, now I want you to listen to another Barack Obama quote on gay marriage. There are some folks who, coming out of the church, uh, have, you know, elevated one line in Romans uh, above the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, so there he is again on the Sermon on the Mount and acting like the Sermon on the Mount somehow refutes not one line in Romans. He needs to know it's a whole section. It's a paragraph of argument. And it's Paul going back to Genesis and Paul saying the created order of male and female is the natural created order and homosexual relations is a rejection of the creator. It's a rejection of the created order. It's a theological argument from Paul that carries throughout the entire Bible. What do you think, folks, of all of this? Obama preaching. Scott on the line from Dallas. Scott, thank you for calling. No, let's move to Debbie. Debbie on the line. Debbie, what's your view? Hi, uh, I remember a few months ago when uh, John McCain did preach at uh, Lynchburg and everybody was mad at Falwell. And then uh, I remember when uh, Perry was preaching at uh, Cornerstone Church and he was talking about, you know, if you don't, if you're not saved, you're going to go to hell, which, uh, you know, Perry, he was right on a bet and he didn't mess around with that. At least he was getting his theology right. Hey, thanks, Debbie, so much for that call. We've got another caller on the line, David from Dallas. David, what do you think? Uh, I think that the IRS regulations are a violation of First Amendment rights. I don't see a problem with a politician or anybody getting up and talking from a pulpit. They have that right. And a pulpit's not just reserved for a preacher. Uh, the important thing is that they preach or they speak God's truth, not who they are. Hey, David, thank you for that insight. And I've got to say, I do agree with David about the fundamental point of the IRS regulation. That was a um, um, a development that came uh, during the time of Lyndon Baines Johnson, uh, a, a regulation that probably ought to be um, revoked and turned back. Uh, if we really believe in the First Amendment, if we really believe in the freedom of speech, uh, there ought to be freedom anywhere, any place, any time in America for a preacher or an atheist to get up and say whatever they want to say about government, about politics, about religion, to endorse a candidate if they want. But right now, that is not the law. And uh, what we're really talking about is a double standard in the enforcement of that law, a double standard from the media in uh, crying foul about that law because the government and the media enforce this rule when it comes to conservatives, when it comes to the right, when it concerns the Republicans. They do not enforce it on the Democrats. They do not enforce it on the liberals. And there's another question. Here's one of these CNN emails. Mr. Obama needs help with biblical interpretation as well as foreign policy. So I think uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how Obama, his candidacy, plays out in the, the coming months. And um, this is tape we might uh, see again when, when the uh, primary season, or particularly a general campaign, 
uh, comes around. You know, another listener says it's easy to criticize others when your own public record is paper thin. And I think that's what we are seeing with Barack Obama. He has a lot to say. He doesn't have a long record or paper trail behind him. And uh, in the coming months, uh, we're going to see him coming up against Hillary Clinton, who tends to be a very tough candidate with her own problems. It's going to be very interesting. Well, this quoting of Scripture selectively, the New Testament talks about a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. It's very easy to hold up the Bible, quote the Bible, talk about prayer, all this generic God talk of the candidates. But when it comes to the life issue and the marriage issue, do these people really take the Bible seriously? Well, has the sleeping bear been awakened? Russia, are we back on Cold War footing with Russia? New bomber runs. And they're supplying Iran with weapons, with technology. Let's talk about it when we come back. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. The Iranian regime must halt these actions. And until it does, I will take actions necessary to protect our troops. I have authorized our military commanders in Iraq to confront Tehran's murderous activities. That's President Bush, and he's reacting to Iranian President Ahmadinejad, who says that he's ready to insert Iran into an Iraqi power vacuum. And what's very interesting about this is that Iran is not alone. Russia is supplying weaponry to Iran. Russia is supplying nuclear technology to Iran. And the French, the new French leader Sarkozy, has criticized Iran and Russia together in recent days, particularly because Russia seems to be returning to a kind of Cold War footing. Russia's in the news, and we've got lots of questions about Russia uh, for our guest, Yuri Felshinsky. He's a Russian native. He's also a historian of the KGB. He got his doctorate from Rutgers, and uh, he has devoted his life to revealing the truth about the Chechnyan wars. He is co-author of a book called Blowing Up Russia with a former KGB agent who actually was killed, uh, poisoned, last November. We're wondering about who did that, and that's all part of this. Yuri, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. Let's go to the first question. That has to do with the Russian relationship with Iran. Russia supplying weapons, technology to Iran. Tell us about it. Well, uh, first of all, I think we have to answer the question, who is ruling the uh, country now? Who is ruling Russia? And the answer is, unfortunately, very sad and simple. Uh, Russia is now ruled by the uh, operatives of the former KGB. Those people who worked for KGB all their life, starting with President Putin, who, of course, was working for KGB before he became uh, you know, politician. Then uh, he, of course, was in charge of the Russian Secret Service, the new organization called FSB, which is uh, indeed the old organization, KGB, with the old name. And then when Putin became the president, he started to promote to major government and political positions other officers uh, from the KGB. Before people realized what was happening, uh, probably between 
40 and 80 percent of all major government positions, depending how you calculate it, were taken by the Russian Secret Service. Hmm. Uh, these are people who historically hate the United States and Western Europe because, once again, they were living and working under the old regime, under the Soviet Union, working for KGB all their life. Uh, they knew all their lives that number one enemy is the United States, number two enemy is Western Europe, and uh, unfortunately that's what they sincerely think now. Now, they President just, Bush once thought that Putin was a friend. Uh, we're seeing him flexing his muscles lately in more ways than one. Uh, one of these uh, items is one Dr. Johnson mentioned, these bombing runs that are taking place, and we're wondering what that's all about. Well, uh, I'm quite sure that Mr. Bush is now very sorry about that remark. He definitely <laughs> was wrong, but uh, I should say that he was the o- not the only one who was mistaken. When Putin was elected as the president in 2000, many people were hoping that he would continue, you know, strategic course which was started by the collapse of the Soviet Union, by President Yeltsin, and for some time people were thinking that that's exactly what's going to happen until they realized that Putin basically changed uh, everything in Russia. You know, he, he uh, took control over major TV stations and major newspapers, he destroyed freedom of speech, he destroyed political parties, and with no opposition and no public opinion opposing him inside Russia, he unfortunately received free hands to do what he wants. Now, those people traditionally, again, were always involved in sale of weapons to questionable governments and those countries which were enemies of the United States. That's what they continue to do so, and they do it for two reasons, for financial reasons and to make, you know, as much trouble for the United States as, as they could. Once again, we are dealing with a group of KGB officers who are now in control of Russia. And uh, Iran, unfortunately, is one of those countries whom uh, they are going to assist because I should say that they're not bright enough to understand that Iran represents danger for Russia as well because Russia, of course, has a lot of problems, uh, internal problems with, uh, you know, domestic, with the Muslim population in Russia. They had two unsuccessful, I should say, Chechen wars. Uh, the Muslim population in Russia is huge. Uh, they are waiting for a moment to ask for additional independence. And to support Iran is not actually in the interest of Russia, but those people who are in control of the country, they are so greedy and so ideologically stubborn that they do not see it. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. We're talking to Yuri Felshtinsky. He's written a book. Blowing up Russia, the secret plot to bring back KGB terror. Yuri, let me ask you this question. You co-authored this book with Alexander Litvinenko. Who do you believe poisoned, killed this man? Well, uh, I think it's not anymore a question of belief. Uh, it's a matter uh, you know, what we know about this. What we know is that Litvinenko was killed by a very rare substance, radioactive polonium-210. This uh, polonium produced only in one place in the world, in Russia. Uh, in Russia, by law, everything was connected to radioactivity, especially during these days when Putin is in charge. 
uh, is so strict uh, that you cannot get even close to this material unless you have clearance on a very high level from the Russian Secret Service. Now, if you get this material, you are not able to smuggle it out of Russia uh, to London, again, unless you have permission of the Russian Secret Service to do this. And then, of course, we know that three officers of KGB were participating in the murder of Alexander Litvinenko. So we do not really have to guess who killed him and who gave the order. We know that the order came from the very top. What we do not know, and probably will never know, or maybe we'll know this in like 50 years, whether President Putin personally gave the order, or whether the order was given by the leadership of the Russian Secret Service, is probably not very important. But what's important uh, is the reaction of President Putin. We see that no one was punished for this murder in Russia. No one was punished for obtaining radioactive material in Russia. No one was punished for smuggling this material to London. So I think it's fair to say that President Putin, even if he had no prior knowledge of this operation planned, he approved it when he you know, realized that it's, this operation already took place and Litvinenko is dead. Let me ask you this question, Yuri, because I think Americans are concerned when they hear the word Cold War, a return to the Cold War. These bombing runs, uh, the movement again of the tanks back to some of the old uh, border states, and um, then the use of oil and uh, energy to intimidate some of these smaller Baltic states. How close are we? What do, what do you think Putin is up to? Is he trying um, to gain control again over some of these Baltic states? Well, I think uh, it's uh, too far to talk about control of the Baltic states. And nevertheless, we, to your list, I should add that I believe today uh, Russia announced that they will try to uh, put nuclear weapons in Belarus in response to American decision to, to, to put weapons in, in uh, Eastern European countries. Uh, so I think what we see just the beginning of the, of the uh, new, new Cold War, what's happening, I think, is the following. Russia is going to have elections in 2008, and I always have difficulties with the word elections now, because there are not going to be real elections in Russia. The new president is going to be selected by the current leadership, which is the FSB leadership. Let me interrupt you. I want to ask you a question, because Americans really don't understand this. Will opposition candidates be able, for instance, to buy TV ads on Russian TV? No. Uh, basically, <laughs> the answer is no. Uh, even if... He would be able to buy it. Uh, the government will have, uh, you know, ten times, hundred times, thousand times more money to buy uh, additional uh, ads to to cover it. Uh, this, this TV is strictly controlled by the government. Major news stations are strictly controlled by the government. There is no opposition, uh, serious opposition. For all practical purposes, it was so only already in uh, 2004 when Putin re-elected himself for the second term. It's even more so now. But uh, nevertheless, I should say that you know Russia is still a very weak country militarily. The Soviet Union was much much stronger, and it collapsed in '91 in 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 two days. Russia is much weaker. Uh, there is a lot of bluff, of course, in what uh, Putin is doing now. 
they mainly do it for uh, domestic purposes. They need, again, to create a crisis situation in Russia before uh, before elections of 2008. Nevertheless, they are trying hard. They are trying hard to, to start another Cold War. Uh, all conflicts which they're making now, they're so artificial that you really, you, you have to look for a conflict you to, do. To, to see this conflict. i got to yeah. jump in. Yuri, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we always appreciate your input. Yuri Felchinsky and uh, Putin, 70% approval rating in Russia. Some people wonder if he actually is gunning for a third term. And, uh, of course, they'd have to change the Constitution. But we appreciate your input here. We've got to watch Russia. They're not a friend. All right. Tomorrow, let me tell you what's coming up. Dr. Barry Creamer teaches humanities, philosophy, theology at Criswell College. Ask a theologian anything day. And also, when we come back, we'll be talking about a new course taught here at Criswell College beginning Thursday night, especially for the listeners of Jerry Johnson Live. And what's up with Senator Craig in the airport bathroom? We'll talk about that in the next segment. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. It's creepy. I don't think Larry Craig can survive this. All right, that's former White House Press Secretary Ari Flasher. He's talking about Idaho Senator Larry Craig. Here is the news story. The report first came from Roll Call, a Capitol Hill newspaper. It said on its website that Craig was arrested June 11th by a plainclothes officer investigating complaints of lewd conduct in a men's restroom at Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport. Pena, what happened? Well, he thought he was getting rid of it because he pled guilty to sort of disruptive behavior, paid a fine, and uh, he thought that would be the end of it. But uh, somebody uh, basically broke the story early in August, and now he's having to go back and say, well, I really wasn't guilty of anything. We look at the story, and we see that there was a plainclothes policeman in the bathroom next to him, and he's saying that Craig was soliciting sexual behavior with this guy. There have been suspicions that Larry Craig has been a homosexual, since the 80s, but it's never actually come to the fore to the degree that it would hurt him politically. He got married in the 80s. He's got a wife. He's got grown children, grandchildren. Uh, it's amazing today he's assisting, insisting very strongly, I'm not gay. 
And uh, he's a conservative Republican. He voted against the federal marriage amendment. And he's been, you know, right down the line uh, against any kind of legislation advancing homosexuality. Uh, now he's really getting major criticism uh, from Democrats. And uh, he was uh, basically the liaison into the Senate for the Mitt Romney campaign. He's had to resign from that. All right. Well, let's listen to a little bit of sound here. Uh, we have uh, the denial. Craig said in a statement issued by his office that he was not involved in any inappropriate conduct. He says that at the time of the incident, he complained to the police that they were misconstruing his actions. All right. So he's changed his story. Mm-hmm. And uh, But Melanie Sloan, who is executive director for Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, says she wants the Senate Ethics Committee to take action against Craig adding her group has filed a complaint seeking an investigation. The Senate rules of conduct prohibit members from engaging in any conduct that reflects poorly upon the Senate, and I can't imagine what would reflect badly on the Senate if not this. All right, and we've got to let old Democrat strategist James Carville weigh in on this. It's just another, you know, right-wing hypocrite, Clinton-hating Republican that's caught in this kind of behavior. The public has become anesthetized to this. All right. Well, that sounds pretty rough. (laughs) Let me say a couple things about this. You know, first of all, uh, there is a double standard here, and we need to we need to see that first of all, in that um, it's well known that Barney Frank. I mean, Mm -hmm. he makes no secret of that. Open homosexual. And we go back to Congressman Studs, who was uh, the first homosexual, uh, open homosexual in Congress. I mean, Barney Frank had a live-in homosexual prostitute in his house who was operating a business from his apartment. And he's still in Congress. Still in Congress and and chairing a major committee right now in the Democrat-controlled Congress. So there is a double standard here when it comes to the Republicans. But you know what? I think in actuality there should be, and that is because uh, the Republican Party has said that they are the family values Mm -hmm. party that they are the traditional values party and and even biblical values when it comes to marriage and human sexuality. So, But there is a double standard in the media. There is a double standard when it comes to uh, how the cultural elites are going to present this story. But, you know, this show is about the Christian worldview, and I would say this, even though there is a double standard, we have to say, you know, this is wrong. It is wrong, and it is sin, and the Bible treats it that way. And uh, I want to focus, because we talked yesterday about the Michael Vick story, and we talked about his sin, and we talked about him finding Jesus. And certainly, we've talked about this subject many times on this program, uh, homosexuality from the book of Genesis through Leviticus, through Romans, through 1 Corinthians. Every time it's mentioned, it's negative. God judges this. It is a sin. It is against creation, against the created order, against the Creator. It's against the Old Testament law. God judged it in Sodom and Gomorrah. And we see Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 with a sin list, a kind of a vice list. And um, he talks about um, all kinds of sin. And then he mentions uh, sort of the male and the kind of a female in homosexuality. I mean, he's very clinical in his terminology. He has two words here for homosexuality, the one who plays the male role, the one who plays the female role. And he says, don't be deceived. Um, You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. 
with this lifestyle, if it's a lifestyle for you. And But then he goes on to say, such were some of you, but you have been washed, you have been sanctified, you have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And that really is the Christian message. Whatever the sin, it is sin. And God pronouncement pronounces judgment upon that sin. He is a holy God. He is a righteous God. He is a just God. But whatever the sin, there can be forgiveness, whether it's Michael Vick or Senator Larry Craig. There can be forgiveness, and there can be cleansing, and there can be change, not just that we're forgiven. And some of you out there might say, you know, I've got some habit. I've got some sinful lifestyle. I've got some something that no one knows about. I've got something I'm struggling with. And you want to know if you can be forgiven, and I'm here to tell you, you can be forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses from all sin. When Christ died on that cross, He paid a penalty for our sin. Peter writes, our sins were nailed to His body on the tree, and He took the death and the judgment and the hell that we deserve when He died on that cross. You want to know if you can be forgiven. But you want to know if you can be cleansed. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. You can not only be forgiven, but you can be cleansed. But Paul goes on to say, such were some of you. That is, there's a lifestyle change. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. And that idea of sanctification means that there's a change. There's a new kind of a life. And you can not only be cleansed, you can be changed. Changed by Jesus Christ. His blood cleanses you, but as Lord, He changes you, and you can be changed. And I encourage you to look to Jesus. I encourage you today to believe in Jesus. I encourage you to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. He will forgive you, and He will change you if you come to Him. It's called being born again. Well, I'm excited about a new class we're offering this Thursday night. It's called Christ and Culture, Contemporary Christian Perspective on Current Issues. We're going to talk about the Christian worldview, Islam, sanctity of human life, stem cell research, environment, cloning, everything that we talk about here on Jerry Johnson Live. It's at 6.30 this Thursday night at Criswell College. It's a special offering To Jerry Johnson Live listeners, a special rate of tuition, go to our website, chriswell.edu or jerryjohnsonlive.com. Either website, jerryjohnsonlive.com, chriswell.edu. I'd love to see you at this class on Thursday night. A special reduced tuition rate. Tomorrow, ask a theologian anything. Do not miss it. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.